podcast about librarian journeys. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Farris. Well, it has, to put it mildly, been a while and a lot's happened since I last lifted the podcasting mic. While the rest of the world took up podcasting during the pandemic, I set it aside, but only ever temporarily. Um, This has always been a side gig and the interviews are recorded as and when opportunities presented themselves and over the last two years there was less time for a side gig. But like all good hobbies, no matter how long it's been, you can always pick back up. Um, So if this can be the year when Top Gun and Kate Bush can make a comeback, why not librarians allowed? So why now? Uh, Well, this month sees the international library community descend on Dublin for not one but two library conventions. The long-awaited, postponed IFLA World Library and Information Congress, and just before that, the Wikimedia and Libraries Convention. To get back on the podcasting horse again, I've got two episodes focusing on these events, showcasing the people behind them. In this episode, I talked to Laurie Bridges, Instruction and Outreach Librarian and Associate Professor at Oregon State University. Laurie has written and presented extensively on Wikipedia as a tool for information literacy and instruction, and she's part of the team behind the Wikimedia and Libraries Convention taking place at Maynooth University on July 23rd and 24th. I talked to her about her background and how she became involved with Wikipedia, and in an unexpected twist of continuity, we left our last episode, so long ago, with a connection to Nebraska. And we pick up with another one in this episode. Okay, uh, Laurie Bridges, thank you so much for joining me on Librarians Allowed. Um, it's it's really nice to to have you with us. This is a the the revamped um, returned Librarians Allowed. We've been on a, a very extended hiatus, so it's it's nice to get um, back in the the podcasting saddle again after such a long time. Um, do you want to just for our listeners introduce yourself and maybe give a little bit of background on your your current role? Yeah, my name is Lori Bridges, and I am a librarian at Oregon State University in Oregon. Um, and my title is Instruction and Outreach Librarian, and I'm in the uh, Learning and Research Department within our library. And I do have liaison departments, so I'm a liaison to the School of Writing, Literature, and Film, and the School of Communications and Arts. And then I also um, am the librarian who works with international outreach. Great. Okay, so you've got quite a a broad remit there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're at a science, uh, research-intensive science school, Um, Mm. so the sciences programs are much bigger than the liberal arts and the humanities programs. Okay, Um, and just taking a kind of a, a step further back um, from where you are now, how did you end up getting into libraries? I know this is kind of the the, the focal point of, of this podcast has always been on looking at the the strange and kind of interesting <laughs> journeys that people have taken to to becoming librarians because uh, 
there there's no singular path to it and mm -hmm. there are a lot of really interesting stories about how li librarians have ended up in the profession so can you talk a little bit about how, how you ended up where you are absolutely mine is not a straight path like most mm -hmm. people and i'm not sure yeah. if it's true in ireland but in the us you cannot get um your first degree your bachelor's degree in librarianship so you yeah. have to wait um, so what happened for me uh, is many years ago, um, I'm from Nebraska, which is in the middle of the country. Oh, I know it very well. I lived there for a year what? and I'm married to a Nebraskan. I, I stole <laughs> one of the Nebraskans and took him back here. Well, where is he from? From Hastings. What? My sister went to college there. Oh, <laughs> uh, this, this, this could be an interesting conversation. Uh, around about when? <laughs> Um, my he sister probably went knows there her. in 1990, let's see, I have to think of how old I am, 1993 to maybe 97 or 8. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he probably knows her. And my brother-in-law. <laughs> later about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother-in-law went there and he was like the star basketball player, so. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he probably <laughs> it's, it's a small so, town and it's a small college. So it's true. So, I, but unlike my sister, I went to the University of Nebraska, which is a big college. It was 25,000 at the time. And I went in knowing, knowing that I wanted to be an English major and also knowing that I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Um, when I set a goal, like I really stick to it, nothing will sway me. Mm -hmm. So I made it from the first moment till the last moment with the same major, which is unusual in the US. Um, and so when I got to the end, uh, what I wanted to do actually was be a librarian, um, a high school mm -hmm. librarian. I had decided, okay, I'll do this and I'll be a high school librarian. But in Nebraska, you actually have to teach in the schools for two years before you can be a school yeah. librarian. It's not the case in other states, but it's like, well, <laughs> by the time I got to teaching, I was like, well, I, I don't actually wanna teach all day. Um, mm. It's just very drain. I'm more of an introvert. I'm an extrovert introvert. So I was like, this is too exhausting. So um, then I started thinking about what I could do and um, really what I could do was my aunt lived in Oregon at the time. And so, <laughs> so I said, I'll just move to Oregon and then I'll make up my mind. So in my mid twenties, I moved to Oregon with uh, my um, boyfriend of the time who I'm now married to. And we moved to Oregon. And uh, so we just uh, saved up residency because in the US you have to live somewhere for a year before you get the in-state university tuition. Oh, yeah. And so he was still working on his bachelor's degree. So we lived here for a year and nobody in my family had ever gotten, uh, received a graduate degree before. So I wasn't exactly sure of the process. And by the time we'd lived here a year and I figured it out, I was like, oh, I can't be a librarian because there's only a few certified programs in the country. And so I said, oh, well, I'll just get this other degree. This will be fine. So the degree I got then was uh, college student services administration. So I have a master's degree in college student services administration and uh, with a minor in women's studies. So I did that, but because of some experiences I had had, I kept finding myself in the field of marketing. Um, so I then worked for a small university and then back to OSU and I did marketing for the university both of those times. Mm -hmm. But after about six years, I was like, oh, I still want to be a librarian. <laughs> this is what what have I done? The librarian call was strong. <laughs> yes. And uh, that was the fun part about marketing was I worked with students because it was at the university. And then you also do a lot of marketing research. So I spent a lot of time doing 
research that goes into marketing. Um, and by that time, there were distance programs. So I went to the University of Washington uh, in their distance program. And at the time it was, you would go at a distance and then once a quarter you were live for three days. So I would go to Seattle for three days every quarter. And then you'd come back and do the work remotely. It worked very well. And then I graduated and it's completely amazing that I was able to get a library job at the same university and it is a tenure track job. So I'm now at the rank of full professor. So that's how I got here. <laughs> so it all worked out pretty well in the end. Yes. <laughs> um, did you find that the um, administration and the marketing experience has kind of served you quite well in librarianship because they're they're both um, the skills that are very much to the fore in libraries, particularly marketing. There actually is a lot more marketing involved in librarianship than people <laughs> probably realize. Yes, I often tell people that the College Student Services Administration degree and then my marketing experience actually has proven more useful on the day-to-day -day than the librarianship degree. Mm -hmm. And in College Student Services, you learn um, the history of higher ed, law of higher ed, uh, organizational culture of higher ed. We take counseling classes for students. So all of those things have served me very well. And then when I left marketing, um, it was 2006, so the transition to digital marketing was mm -hmm. really just happening. So all my experience is in uh, print and promotions that way. So um, when it comes to promoting something that I'm interested in, mm -hmm. I maybe have a few more skills than others. And when I was in marketing, I supervised a graphic designer and, and student designers. So, um, for example, with this Wikimedia conference, it's come in quite handy. Mm. Yeah, I find there's so much involved in the day-to-day -day of, of being a librarian, particularly as you kind of go into more kind of managing people and managing services and putting kind of structures together. There's an awful lot that just is not covered in your official librarianship qualification. I think yeah. the, the list of things that should be taught in library school gets longer and longer all the time. Mm -hmm. The um, Just the experience of promoting, because uh, when working in higher ed marketing, I had to give a lot of presentations to parents and students mm -hmm. and um, all of that. And so that comes in very handy, just that constant presentation and um, working to get your message out there. So that's incredibly useful. Mm, and probably having that insight as well into the, the whole recruitment process for students and just a lot of the concerns that they're coming to us with because we're often faced with them you know when we kind of view them in a quite an academic way um when we're, when we're meeting them in the library but we forget that there's a lot of complexity and they've taken a long journey to to get to us um, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on for them in terms of the, even just their own kind of administration within the the institution yeah, I think that uh, the student services degree um, now being on the academic side with faculty in the tenure track has mm. produced an interesting perspective because I really see the library as a middle point between academics and then what the students do outside the classroom. Um, so when I first came to the library for the first few years when the student affairs staff was all the same because the student affairs staff here is really a large, large um, department, uh, then I would, I knew everyone. So everyone was excited, like, oh, Lori knows who does that. Lori knows who does this. So it was a good yeah. connection to keep things from um, the library side connected to the student affairs side. Yeah, that sounds like a great, great um, 
position to be in because often particularly if you're not in a job for very long and it's a large organization being the person who knows the person to talk to is it's it can take a long time to build up those connections and it, you know you can't you can't learn that you have to just know yeah mm-hmm. who to speak to to get things done yes and it's sometimes being in the library feels much like a bubble because I know my department and I know the library. I mean, by my department, I mean the liaison responsibilities and then the library. But when I worked in student affairs, you had to know all of the people in student affairs and all the departments. And so mm-hmm. it just I just knew a, a, such a large swath of people <laughs> and had worked with them before. So that was useful. But now people will come to me and ask in the library. They'll come to me and ask questions about student affairs or something. And I'm like, well... I came over to the library in 2006, so <laughs> the people that I worked with have now moved on. So it's not quite as good, as strong of a connection as it used to be. But it's good to have that historic perspective as well. Yes. Knowing what's gone before, um, that can be hard to retain, especially in big organizations where there's a lot of turnover. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you um, today is about your experience with Wikimedia and mm. Wikipedia and being a, a Wikimedian. Um, you've written and presented uh, quite extensively on um, Wikipedia and you've advocated extensively for librarians becoming um, active in Wikipedia. How how did that journey start for you or where did you kind of begin <laughs> your relationship with Wikipedia? And, So my journey hasn't been that long. There have been many librarians who have been involved from the very beginning, I think especially as editors. Um, And maybe I'd added some passive thoughts, like I should know a little bit more about Wikipedia. Uh, But I really didn't dive into it. And I I would say I had neither a negative nor a positive opinion, per se, Mm -hmm. other than I knew I used it and I I was fine with it. Um, But what happened for me is... um, I have a 13-year-old son now, and when he was in third grade, which in the U.S. would make him, well, I have to think, five, six, seven, eight, when he was eight or nine, um, he was in a class, and my son has dyslexia, and if you know anything about dyslexia, it's uh, a language processing disorder. So he had problems with reading and um, reading out loud and, and those things. So he was in this third grade class, and he started doing a project about frogs, and he was coming home every night talking about his excitement about this frog he had selected for his project. And so this continued for a couple of days and he had never been excited nor interested in any class assignment mm-hmm. before. So, of course, I was excited. My husband was excited. And so I said to him one day at dinner, well, what what are you using to research this frog? Um, and he said, Safari. And I said, well, Safari mm-hmm. is not like, are you using a database? What are you using? And he just looked at me and said, well, Wikipedia. And it was just a very, like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> so um, I was like, huh. And I just took a moment to think, and what, they're using Wikipedia in third grade, and the teacher's okay with that? Like, if teachers are teaching mm-hmm. about Wikipedia, hmm, what would the advantages be? So I started talking with folks. And so first, um, about my son's situation, he went to a bilingual elementary school. So the way the school works is uh, one week will be in English, like every every subject, everything is taught in English. And then the next week, everything is taught in Spanish and it flips back mm-hmm. and forth every week. And so my uh, 
first thing was, okay, so it would be useful when she, the teacher needs them to do research in Spanish because they could go to the Spanish Wikipedia. And then the next week they could return to the English Wikipedia. So I thought of that. And then, as I mentioned, I'm in the science school. So I brought it up in a meeting and I said, what are the advantages of using, you know, Wikipedia? And then one of my colleagues said, well, you, you couldn't use Encyclopedia Britannica or, or any other encyclopedia if every child has to pick a different frog. There just wouldn't be enough information on all these types of frogs. And then the other advantage uh, we decided would be that uh, every child had to give a report, like a a speech at the end of their uh, project about their frog and where their frog lived and the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talked about the links, the links back and forth and how much they could find about their country um, and information. One of the cutest things is one of the students, because my son was singing it, he he did a frog in Mexico, his friend, and then he made up a song about this frog, which was so adorable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at, at that point, I was like, hmm, maybe I'll learn more about Wikipedia. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing for me and maybe others who are teachers to learn something, it's to say, okay, I'm going to teach about this, and then that will force me <laughs> to yeah, learn it on a whole other level. You have no choice but to get up close and personal <laughs> with it. You have to teach it. Yes. So uh, we have an honors college here, and my uh, coworker and I wrote an article about this. Um, it was just recently published. It's called Meet Students Where They Are, Centering Wikipedia in the Classroom. It is about our yeah. process. But basically, um, I did teach it alone the first time, and I developed the class. But I proposed to our honors college, which is a small school within the university. And you don't have to go through the same bureaucratic process to start a class. It's really for innovation and uh, trying new Mm -hmm. things. So I proposed a class about Wikipedia and information equity. (laughs) And then it was approved, you know, within a month or two. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to teach an 11 week class about Wikipedia now and I don't know anything. (laughs) So rapid uh, learning process for you then yeah so it was a rapid learning process and then I also decided uh to put together a team and do an edit-a-thon which we had never done and afro crowd um was wonderful we identified them after asking folks who what what should we do who should we work with so afro crowd helped with the edit-a-thon so we did squeeze in an edit-a-thon before I taught the class which helped a lot and then I just voraciously read um wrote a couple articles so I would have experience and then I taught the first class. And then um, from there, it just snowballed because as I said, we're at a tenure um, Mm. institution. So uh, I was going to, I knew I was going to try to go up for full professor in a few years, uh, which I recently got. So I'm full professor now, but when you, whenever you do anything, when you're going up for professor, then you're like, okay, I need to write about this or in some Mm. way. And then I just went down a rabbit hole and started writing about it. And so my main interest is still um, Wikipedia for information literacy and undergraduate students. But in that process, I've learned a lot about Wikimedia and Wikipedia. And I've gotten involved and become more of an advocate in that. um, You know, if, if as a librarian, I felt I learned a lot about the different databases I have to teach students how to use. And so one of my initial thoughts was, well, I've learned so much about these other databases. Why don't I know as much about Wikipedia and how to effectively search it and and find information? So um, kind of advocating for librarians to learn more so that they can instruct students on the basics with the hope that and thought that just understanding Wikipedia and knowing how to write an article for students will expand their understanding of the internet more broadly and misinformation and 
how to vet whatever they find on the internet. So it's been, it's been a very quick journey because I just started, let's see, I think I taught the first class in 2018, 29, I think it's 2018. So now here I am. <laughs> so it's been yeah, a very kind of rapid evolution. When you first started using uh, Wikipedia and when you first mentioned it to your your colleagues, kind of both academic colleagues and, and librarians, what was the the response like did you meet with that kind of usual skepticism about it as a source and about it as a, a, a teaching tool or what was the the, the the reaction you got from your colleagues and your peers well I'm definitely known for having a lot of ideas and pursuing a lot of <laughs> ideas so I've worked here long enough that everyone's used to that and so they hear mm -hmm. about me exploring things and just kind of a nod of the head like oh, okay then you know see where it goes so I'm sure nobody thought including myself that it would go this far um, but when I initially said I was going to do it um, there was just kind of like a nod of the head heads okay and mm -hmm. then uh, I got folks involved with the edit-a-thon so we have a team of three mm -hmm. that does the edit-a-thon and those two who are involved with the coordination of the edit-a-thons because we do one a year um, they were two folks that were just like, yeah, let's try it, let's do it. And so the three of us are just like our own cheerleading squad, I guess to use an American mm -hmm. term. <laughs> so we just cheer each other on like, yeah, you do it, do it. So we've, uh, the three of us have done a lot of different things with Wikipedia. And so that's been fun that we have the three of us and we're a good team in that uh, we have the archivist, as I said, and she knows a lot about history. And then uh, Diana Park, who's co-taught my class with me, she does the edit-a-thons and she's great with tech and organizing things. Um, and then I work a lot with Afro Crowd to put together the edit-a-thon. So the three of us are really into it. And then I've given some presentations but it's kind of snowballed and now it's to the point where there are a lot more folks in the library interested in uh, what I'm doing with Wikipedia. Obviously planning this conference <laughs> uh, feeds into that. But I was asked um, this year to put together two edit-a-thons for our library in-service program. So every year we close the library and have an in-service program and it's formatted to be much like um, conferences but it's just our own staff um, presenting to one another so and we invite a keynote speaker so I'll be doing two short edit-a-thons teaching folks about Wikipedia and how to put uh, historical information about Oregon onto Wikipedia so I think there's there's general support but it started small I'm sure there was some what is she doing perhaps there still is but <laughs> for, in general it's, mm -hmm. everyone's very supportive <laughs> and you um, are the one of the editors of a book on Wikimedia, uh, Wikipedia oh. and academic libraries. Um, so obviously you began to see the snowballing, not just with the work that you were doing, but like right across academic libraries, like as people were getting more, uh, more deeply involved in using Wikipedia as um, an information tool and an instruction tool. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the book and how you got involved with that? Yeah, I never edited a book, but I thought it might be an interesting thing to do, but I never had a topic that I wanted to edit a book about. And um, as I was doing the edit-a-thons um, and starting to write articles myself, I got a little bit, um, well, I was a little bit disappointed because there are uh, a lot of articles about Wikipedia, but they're all very... Uh, well, I shouldn't say they're all because there aren't, they aren't, isn't all of them, but they're very introductory and it's always an overview. Yeah. Like we've, you should 
engage with Wikipedia or Wikimedia or Wikidata for these reasons. And this is the history. And here's some general things you should do. Um, and what I really wanted at that time was more case studies, like what exactly mm. can I do? What exactly has been done? And so um, I felt that was kind of missing in the literature. Uh, and so at that point, I just said, well, it's missing in the literature and I want to see it in the literature. And so I'll just, this would be a good edited topic. And again, as I said, I'd never edited a book before, but I know that I work well in teams of three. So I decided I would put together a team of three. And the first person I asked was Ray Pun. And American librarians often know Ray Pun. He's involved in everything and he's edited a lot of books and he's everywhere all the time. And I'm friends with him. So I just said, hey, Ray, would you do it? He thought it over. And then he said, yes, he would do it with me. And then um, a third person, the third person that I asked um, specifically because he's just a very um, detail oriented and ethical person. And I thought, well, he'll make sure every that we do everything correctly and dot every I and cross every T. And so it was a great team of three. Um, and then we just put out the call for proposals it was a little challenging to get the call internationally uh, to make sure folks had seen the call, but also because librarians in the U.S. at research institutions and some other universities do have to write and publish. Of course, there were just more from the U.S. So uh, much to our surprise, we had 60 proposals for book chapters and we accepted 20. Then COVID hit. So one person did um remove themselves from the project. So we ended up with 19 chapters. Uh, but because we had 60 proposals, over 30 of them were from the US. So uh, as an editorial team, we had decided that we wanted to make sure the US did not make up the majority of the chapters. Um, and so that made decisions very difficult because there were a lot of U.S. librarians doing interesting things. But again, there were also a lot of the chapters that were more inter, uh, introductory overviews. And we were we had by that time decided we wanted to really focus on case studies and what we could do within our own libraries and, and share with other libraries what they could do. So yeah. we kind of went with that. So you ended up with quite good, good um, international representation, including mm. the, um, the chapter from from Ireland, from uh, Marta Bustillo and uh, Crystal, Crystal Fulton in, in UCD. So yes. It's, it's always good to have some, some representation from Ireland um, and to see just the, the depth and breadth and the, the variety of ways that uh, librarians are using um, Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. And then um, we had um, we, uh, Roberto, my co-editor, he, again, is he's the more detail-oriented one, and he was like, oh, we should split this book up into three sections, and um, so we split it up into three. So the, the last uh, section covers things outside of Wikipedia, like Wikidata and um, mm -hmm. Wikisource. So that was a good addition to the book as well. And those are not my uh, Wikidata, Wikisource, those are not my areas. So one thing that's kind of tricky when you get involved with a Wikimedia or Wikipedia projects, well, it's been tricky for me, it may not be tricky for other people, <laughs> is that now everyone thinks I know everything about Wikimedia. And uh, I think a good description uh, is that Wikimedia is a huge metropolis city and I know a neighborhood <laughs> and my neighborhood is Wikipedia and libraries, but there are lots of uh, places to explore within the Wikimedia universe. It's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Is that, yeah, I'm only becoming more familiar with things like Wikidata um, as, as I delve in a, a little bit further. 
Well, and I think that when, when I first started down this path, people were asking questions and I really felt like, oh my gosh, I need to learn everything. And then I decided I had to put up some boundaries. Otherwise there's just, I don't, I don't, I mean, I am passionate about this project of, well, I shouldn't say project, this area of Wikipedia used for information literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I know enough people that I know people that are really amazing in the other areas. So I just say, oh, well, you should go talk to so-and-so. And then that works yeah. out quite well. So it's nice. It's kind of a, a community and connection building in in, in real life as well. As, exactly. As well as being part of the, the Wikimedia community. Um, so you're now coming to to Ireland. Um, you're going to be in, in Dublin for the Wikimedia and Libraries Convention um, on July 23rd and 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about that or yeah. how did you start that process? So I'm on the Wikimedia Regional Grants Committee for North America, which is the U.S. and Canada. Um, and while on that committee, I learned that's how um, conferences and conventions are funded through Wikimedia. And I had actually been to one. I went to Wikimedia and Education in uh, Donostia, Spain, San Sebastian, right before uh, COVID started. So that was the spring before. And when I went to that conference, I got a scholarship. I wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. And I was one of three or two librarians there. And uh, that made me a little sad. I wanted to see more librarians there. I would have expected more. (laughs) But um, it also energized me because there were so many young people there. And um, their passion and interest in Wikimedia and Wikipedia projects um, then energized me even more. And after attending that, I just kept thinking, uh, it would be nice if there was a program just for librarians like Wikipedia and education. So I had had it in my mind and I know others have also had similar thoughts and there is uh, glam programs, uh, and conferences, but that never appealed to me. Like I read about it and it didn't speak to what I do. I don't, I don't work with museums. (laughs) And in the U.S., there's generally not much of a connection between museums and like university librarians. So when I would look at the glam conventions, I wouldn't generally see um, presentations that would apply to me, maybe like one or two. So um, uh, then the more I thought about it, you know, uh, American Library Association, our uh, national event every year. It draws between 15 and 20,000 librarians. And then um, obviously there's IFLA and um, there's all the events Mm -hmm. in Europe and in Ireland. So I just thought, well, we should just do something with librarians. And then uh, there's a famous quote, it's reiterated again, again, which is, if not you, who, if not now, when? And I got that stuck in my head and I was like, okay, I'm just going to make this happen somehow. (laughs) So I put some feelers out and then Enkem Oswegwe came from Nigeria is interested and she's with the Wikimedia library user group. So she's kind of representing them. And she also is employed with Aflia. So she has a big reach. And then I told some other folks that I know um, are interested in Wikipedia. So Nuria Faran from Barcelona. She's a professor of library and information science. She's like, oh, that sounds fun in an email. And then like maybe two days later, she wrote back and said, I've been thinking about that and I actually want to do it. So count me in. I want to help. And then I reached out to Rebecca and 
not knowing what I was getting to, into, maybe Rebecca knew, but Rebecca said, yeah, I'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Rebecca's, you know, the Wikimedia community, Ireland. I don't know what her official title is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what her official title is either. I know she does. If you want to know more about what she does, uh, if you listen to the, the world yeah. according to Wikipedia is her, her podcast. So it's, it's a good place to, to delve into if you want to know more about what Rebecca does and, you know, one of the great things about the podcast is it just introduces you to all the different ways people are using uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, she's just so friendly and she did the book chapter. So that's yeah. uh, really why I reached out to her because I knew she had done the chapter and she, maybe you know, maybe she would help a little. So now it's a team of four uh, as the core committee. Um, mm-hmm. And the f- first step was we met with Hen, who is uh, like head of conference grants at Wikimedia Foundation. And you just, uh, if anyone ever wants to do a conference, you just chat with her first to see what, your ideas and where it could go. Um, and she said, think big. So we're like, okay. (laughs) So we thought big and then she was like, and hurry, because I need to get this grant right away because you're already behind, Mm -hmm. but it's been COVID and nobody has had an in-person conference. So we'll consider it late. Um, so we just really rushed putting it together. And the hardest part was deciding where we would have it because it's, uh, right Mm -hmm. before or after, IFLA is what we had decided. Um, and it's not easy to get a place in Dublin at that short of a notice, really. No, it's never easy <laughs> to get a place in Dublin. So I think it was Rebecca then who suggested Maynooth. I can't remember. And so we're so fortunate that Maynooth uh, Library and staff and university said, yes, mm-hmm. we'll do it. Because <laughs> now I just consider that to be the best stroke of luck and oh, we're so fortunate because they've just been so helpful and they have their conference staff and they have uh, someone in the library who's helping us. So yeah, they um, have, they have really good experience with events and, and, and Elaine is, is very well known and loved in the oh. library community for her <laughs> great nice. um, knowledge and skill and expertise with, with events and events planning and just her her openness and availability to, to anyone planning events. So you, you landed on your feet there. Yes, that was, <laughs> I don't know what we would have done without that. I would have probably been in such a panic right now. Um, so then we split up the um, the core committee into doing our separate tasks. So I, then I was ahead of the scholarship committee. And so the bulk of our grant was to fund scholarships to come to um, the Wikimedia Plus Libraries Convention. And so we awarded 20 full scholarships and then we have 20 partial scholarships uh, and the partial scholarships cover accommodations at Maynooth and then the full scholarships cover everything from airfare um, to visa expenses to the accommodations so we were going for again international breadth with the full scholarships and uh, in the we had 100 and over 140 applicants in one week so we were a little surprised by the number of applicants. Um, and then we had decided ahead of time that we would limit it to no more than four full scholarships to any one country. Um, so that worked out well. Uh, in my mind, I was thinking that would be important for the U.S. because, again, we often outnumber. But actually, it was Nigerians. Nigerians uh, submitted more than half of the applications. So there's just a lot of activity and excitement in Nigeria specifically right now about Wikimedia and Wikipedia projects. So um, the librarians there have been just doing phenomenal work with Wikipedia. Yeah, it's great as well that they're um, 
this conference is so accessible because IFLA is is great, but it, there are limitations on who can and can't attend attend mm-hmm. just because of the the cost of it. So having a conference like this that's open to kind of early career and people from organizations that are smaller that wouldn't be able to fund them to go to a conference it's great to have these scholarships because it just makes it like wikipedia itself it's a, it's just a much more democratic process that exactly and they uh the conference group at wikimedia did ask us why did you decide on dublin or near dublin well mm-hmm. because it was before or after ifla and then folks could use this full scholarship and then extend their stay if they wanted to attend IFLA. So not all have done that, but I would guess 10 or more out of the 20 full scholarships have extended their stay so that they could also attend IFLA. Yeah, so it's really beneficial for us um, here in Dublin. We're already seeing the the international library community arrive because of IFLA, but it's it's just extended that access out more. So we're going to get a much broader diversity of, of people arriving in who are interested in in libraries and Wikipedia. Um, so if people are interested in attending um, Wikipedia and Libraries Convention, uh, can they still book? How can they find out about it? What they can, they can uh, but it will close on July 8th, just so that we can have okay. convention numbers um, for Maynooth for catering and all of that. But uh, registration mm-hmm. is until July 8th and it is free unlike most conferences and conventions because we do have the grant. And then for the two days of the convention, which is the 23rd and 24th, Saturday and Sunday, there will be catering throughout. So meals are free. And then we'll have an evening activity on Saturday, which is included as well. And that's Celtic Nights at, um, well, in Maynooth. Uh, so we'll be doing that activity, which I'm excited for. And uh, then we also have set aside some funding for childcare. Um, so if there's anyone that would need childcare expenses covered, then just to reach out to one of the core committee and we'll work with you to reimburse you for childcare costs. So there really are no major limitations on, on people accessing it. Exactly. Yeah, very accessible. Um, great. So we'll and put all the details up in the... Um, in the episode notes so people can yeah and I should also add that you don't have to be a librarian there are a lot of folks who are coming that are not librarians um, and that also you don't have to be an experienced Wikipedian you can come because you're just curious that's good because I think that can um, make people a little bit nervous about attending Wikipedia events I know that's one of the criticisms sometimes of uh, things like editathons that people feel they need to have some level of expertise um, so it's always good to have reassurance that you don't need to have done this before. It's exactly if you're just if you're just showing up to to find out more or to try and you know, dip a toe in, then this is the place for you. This is perfect. Yes. Okay, sounds great. So hopefully um, we will see uh, a wide and interested and diverse crowd at uh, Wikipedia or Wikimedia and Libraries uh, Convention. Thank you so yeah. much for, for Thank talking you. to me, Marie, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Dublin. Sounds good. See you soon. Thanks to Laurie for talking to me, and I look forward to catching up again at the Wikimedia and Libraries Convention on the 23rd and 24th. If you want to attend the event, registration closes on July 8th, so apologies if you're listening to this after that date. 
Um, if you do want to hear more from an Irish Wikimedian, you can listen to our episode 23 featuring Rebecca O'Neill, Wikimedia Ireland Project Coordinator, or better still, you could just listen to her excellent podcast, The World According to Wikipedia. As I mentioned in the intro, the Wikimedia and Libraries Convention is just the first of two events calling the librarians to Ireland this month. IFLA's World Library and Information Congress takes place from 26th to 29th of July. And ahead of that, I have an interview coming up with Cahill Macaulay, Maynooth University Librarian and President of the Library Association of Ireland. That will be dropping this week, I promise. If you want to get it fresh when it lands, subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple or Stitcher. And I promise the wait for episodes won't be so long next time. So until then. Librarians Allowed is produced and presented by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and editing are by Michael Ferris.